Turn your Bibles tonight to the book of Galatians, and uh, in just a little bit, we're going to focus on two verses mainly, and uh, I think be somewhat brief. I don't know, I feel certain that that all of us have noticed that we tend to worry a lot about why bad things happen to good people. You, I mean, you hear that question all of the time. In fact, that very question is actually raised in the Bible. You know, why would, why would God let this happen to me? Why would God let this happen? Why would God let... This happened now, and especially uh, to me. And so we all realize that can be a mystery because whether we're thinking of ourselves or whether we're thinking of someone else that we hold in high esteem, someone that we, we uh, classify as a very, very good person who loves the Lord and some bad things will happen, and uh, so consequently we... We want to know why. There's just something in our makeup that prompts questions like that. I want to suggest tonight that maybe we ought to give more thought as to why bad things happen to bad people. Why bad things happen to bad people. Especially since, like it or not, we're all bad. None of us are deserving. And if we could see ourselves through God's eyes. Now, I realize that God loves us. I realize that those that have received Jesus Christ as Savior, that we are justified in His sight. None of those sins are held against us. All of those sins are be forgotten, remembered no more. But... By the same token, God knows what we are in and of ourselves. And in and of ourselves, it's never a pretty picture because the standard is Christ and we, we never even get close to measuring up. So uh, don't ever wonder why bad things happen. They do because we're not deserving. Now, not only should we think about why bad things happen to bad people, we need to think about what bad things happen to bad people. And that's what we're talking about tonight. The title of the message is, The Bad Things About Bad Things. The Bad Things About Bad Things. In other words, I want... I want you to think for a few minutes about the danger of sin. The bad thing about bad things. And notice I said bad things in the plural because there's more than one bad thing. You know, I've got some dear preacher friends to hear them preach. You would think there's only, only one or two or three sins in all of the world because those are the only ones they ever mention. They never get on anything else. It's all... You know, there's certain friends I've had many years ago in Kentucky and Tennessee. We had uh, a monthly preacher's fellowship meeting each month. A different church would host that meeting. 
And I already knew before I got there, if so-and-so preaches, I knew what the subject was going to be because it was the same thing every time. And we get hung up sometimes on, you know, one particular thing. And in reality, there are a lot of bad things. Uh, And there's more than one bad thing that can happen when we do bad things. In other words, when we sin... There are going to be certain repercussions, uh, and they're going to be greatly varied and affect us in a lot of different ways. So the point is, our, our choices have consequences. And that's a lesson that every person needs to learn as early as possible in their life. Uh, young people need to learn that as early as possible, and... They need to understand what the Bible says about the law of sowing and reaping. Verse number 7, Galatians 6, verse 7. We want to read verse 7 and verse 8, and this is our text. The bad things about bad things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And then, of course, there's this exhortation following that, let us not be weary in well-doing. Whenever we think about the bad things, about bad things, the first thing we need to do, I think, is to consider the extent of what we're talking about. As I said, there's more than one bad thing. There are many. And whenever we do bad things, when we sin against God, there are several different things that happen. And I want you to understand the extent, the extent of the consequences when we make a bad choice. First of all, it harms you. You're going to end up harming yourself whenever you decide that you're going to live contrary to God's Word. Because of the law, remember, and I don't use that word law lightly, this is a law that God established. We think about, for example, the law of gravity, that if I, if I let go of that cane, what direction is it going to go? Down. We've all got that figured out, right? And so if I want to pick it up, I've got to overcome you know, and get, no, I got it. I'm, I'm just messing with you. Thank you, though. And uh, none of us debate the law of gravity, do we? Well, there's another law, and that law is the law of sowing and reaping. It's a law that God established, and whatever we sow, that is what we're going to reap. And so that being true, we cannot sin without harming ourselves. So you stop and ask yourself, do I really have my own best interest at heart? If you do, you'll do everything possible to avoid sin because it's going to affect you. The Bible speaking of Israel said they sowed to the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. Here it says if we sow to the flesh. And that, that's simply talking about the fact that if we live according to the flesh, if we give in to the desires of the flesh, And by the way, all of this ties together with the latter part of chapter number 5 where he talks about the deeds of the flesh and how awful and terrible these particular sins are, and he names them. 
And he exhorts us to walk in the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. If we walk in the Spirit, what happens? He produces within us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, just the opposite. In other words, the good things, those good qualities in our life. So if you sow one thing, you're going to reap something that is of the same nature. If you go out here and you sow wheat, you're going to reap wheat. You're not going to reap corn. It's going to be wheat. I mean, like produces like. And so if I sow bad seeds, I'm going to reap a bad harvest. It comes later, but it's always the same, of the same sort. But it's always a different size because you always reap more than what you sow. I mean, wouldn't it be silly to go out here and say, you know, well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to sow some oats this year and just, you know, put a put one little oat in the ground and expecting to get one back or corn, you know? No, you go out there and you sow uh, that corn and boy, you get a stalk and the stalk is full of ears and the ears are full of all of the, that seed corn on there and it produces a hundred, a thousand fold. And, and that's the way it is in our life. So the bad thing about bad things is it's going to harm you. Secondly, it's going to hinder others. Uh, over and over again I've said, you know, if when we sin, if it didn't affect anybody else, you know, th- th- that'd still be bad, but it wouldn't be quite so bad, would it? But you see, our sin always hinder somebody else in some way. You cannot sin without it harming somebody else. You might think, well, I committed this sin and, and it is hidden. I'm keeping it from them. They'll never know. And they might never know the particular deed that, that you've done, but in some way it will change you and affect you and that begins to affect your relationship with them in some way or another. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. And one of the most heartbreaking things is to see the sins of the fathers visited upon their children and their grandchildren. So if we really truly care about our children, we're going to do what we can to sow the good seed instead of the bad seed. So I mean, just so far, there's already enough here to tell us that when we look at the extent of the bad things that happen, when we do bad things, that it's going to harm us, it's going to hinder others. I mean, if we just stopped right there, that ought to be enough evidence right there to convince us to change our ways, right? I mean, you would think so. If we care about ourselves, if we care about our children, if we care about our loved ones, well, we're going to change our ways. But there's something even worse than all of that, and that's the fact that it hurts God. That's why in Ephesians 4 and verse number 30, it says, Grieve not the Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. Grieve is a love word. It implies a love that has been hurt. And God loves us to such a great extent that whenever He sees us hurting ourselves, When he sees us hindering other people, it hurts God. 
literally hurts the heart of God. You know, most of the time I don't think we think about how it hurts God. We think, well, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I know that was offensive to God. He certainly didn't like that. But it's not just a matter of him not liking it. It's a matter of it actually hurting him. That's why some songwriters have alluded to the fact that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, that we actually were guilty of driving the nails into his hands and his feet. You know, that's what, that's what they're getting at, that we were responsible. Our sin was responsible for inflicting that pain upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true. We, we are all responsible because we're all sinners. But then, whenever we sin, even as God's children, whenever we sin, it grieves the heart of God. You see, God is holy, and so sin is an offense against God. But God loves us, and so it grieves the heart of God. That ought to be a major concern to all of us in the choices that we make, the decisions that we make. We ought to be careful lest the extent of our wrongdoing end up hurting us, hurting others, and even hurting the heart of God. Now, not only should we look at the extent of this, but I think it's always good to look at some examples of it. And we can find examples throughout the Bible. We think about the act of Adam I mean, we've all been affected by Adam, right? Every single one of us, you know, because of Adam's sin entered into the world and death by sin so that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And so we've all been affected by the sin of Adam. And then we see it in the crime of Cain. I mean, it didn't take very long, did it? Remember, like produces like, Adam sinned against God, and the result of that is he, he and Eve gave birth to a child that had a propensity to sin. It was in his nature now. And so we see the horrible, terrible crime of Cain. We go on through the Bible, and we come down to Samson, a great hero, by the way, a champion in Israel. And then we think about the sensuality of Samson. Here is a man that was absolutely at the pinnacle of success, and because of his feelings about a woman, it brought him down to where the champion became a clown. He's out there in the Colosseum, and they've gouged his eyes out, and they're making fun of him. What a, what a great example of a poor example. And then we think about the disgrace of David. Here is a man that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. Here is a champion of Israel. Here is a giant killer. Here is a man that was used mightily of God, and yet you, you know the sad story, Right? How sad it is to think a man so great could fall so low. And yet that's exactly what happened to David. And whenever you read the story, you see that David wasn't the only one affected. 
There were a lot of other people affected as a result of that. Some even put to death. Then you think about his little child that died as a result. But yet I still say the worst thing about all of it is that a man after God's own heart began to pursue his own pleasure and brought shame and reproach to God and that grieved the heart of God. That's the most serious part of it. And then, of course, we come to Solomon and we think about his shame. Hard on the heels of his father David and Solomon comes along and and Solomon uh, in maybe different ways, but repeats the same type of sin that his father David. We think of the hate of Haman. We think of the anger of Ahab, the jealousy of Jezebel, and on and on and on the list goes. All through the Bible, God illustrating the fact that we are going to reap what we sow. There's no getting out of it, no escape from it. We see it in the Bible. We see it in history. I mean, even if we didn't have the Bible to go by, even if God hid all of these failures from our sight, if we didn't know anything about Abel and Cain and Samson and all of the rest of them, if we knew nothing about that, all we'd have to do is pick up the history book and just look back through history, and we find plenty of evidence that people reap what they sow. In fact, whenever you look at history, you'll see that it is the story of the rise and the fall of empires and nations bearing testimony to the fact that righteous, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. But not only do we see it in the Bible and not only do we see it in history, we know this from personal experience. Just pretend that there's no record of it in the Bible. Pretend that there's no record of it in history. But just during your lifetime, either you or someone you know and someone you love has been guilty of sowing the seeds of wickedness. They have made choices that, that obviously are contrary to the Word of God. And you watch what happens to them. It's a sad picture. And every one of us can think of someone, and there are no doubt some of you right here tonight that can look back on your past record and if called upon, you could stand to your feet and say, I made one of the biggest mistakes of my life years ago when I did this or I did that. And it costs me dearly. We can all think of instances like that. My point is, how much evidence does it take to convince us that it's better to sow the good seed than it is to sow the bad seed? Whenever you look at the Bible and you look at history and you look at your record and the record of other people and what have you, I mean, how how much evidence do we need? If that isn't enough, what would ever convince us? What hope is there if that's not enough to convince us? You know, I don't know of anything to help a person if that doesn't convince us to 
change our ways. We ought to learn by the mistakes of others. We ought to learn from the mistakes that we've made ourselves. So whenever we talk about the bad things about the bad things, we need to understand the extent of what we're talking about. That is, who all might be affected, us, others, and God. We need to consider the examples of it. But then all of that should call for an examination. I mean, if we just look at all of this in theory and say, yeah, you know, I know what that, I've memorized that verse. I know exactly what the Bible says about the law of sowing and reaping. I'm very well aware of those facts. And uh, we look at all of the examples and, yeah, we're convinced we shouldn't do that. But we never examine ourselves. You know, and since we're living in a day where people call evil good and good evil, some way or another we need, we need to, first of all, define what is bad and what is good. And the only way to do that is to turn to the Bible because the Bible alone defines what sin is. What is sin? It's the transgression of God's law. It's us violating God's standard. And so we need to define it, we need to denounce it, we need to desert it, but we never do that unless we examine ourselves. Look at the verse just before our text, I believe it is, uh, in verse number, verse number 4, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. That word prove has to do with testing. You put something to the test. If you are assaying gold, it means that you are testing the, the mineral content. You're taking the, the rock formation and you're finding out how much pure gold is therein to see if it's going to be worth your while. It might not be enough, you know, that would cause you to even uh, go through the refining process. And so whenever we think about the need for us to make wise decisions and to sow the good seed instead of the bad seed, we need to examine ourselves and prove our own selves. And most of the time we don't like to do that, do we? Well, you know, we'd rather pick on somebody else. We'd, we'd rather look at them and say, boy, I tell you, the old so-and-so just made the most stupid decision I've ever seen anybody make. And so we tend to judge others rather than sitting in judgment of ourselves. And so when you think about the law of sowing and reaping and all of the bad things that can happen as a result of it, we need to stop and examine ourselves to see what kind of seed we're sowing. Because, look, you can't sow one kind of seed and reap another kind. Your choice is going to have consequences. Well, I don't think anybody would debate the fact that we all at some point in time make some bad choices. I'm talking about even as Christian people. We've made some bad decisions at different times in our Christian life. We might have meant well, but we made a bad decision. Brother Kenneth and I were talking before the service about, you know, some different things and 
uh, and you know nobody 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 knows it all to begin with, and nobody knows it all whenever they come to the end of life's road. But we do tend to learn some things over the years, and the the the, the point of the matter is that learning process usually involves you know making some mistakes you know we want to do what's right and i can remember as a young preacher being right was all that really mattered you know i as i've said i want to be that rugged two-fisted fundamentalist a crusader for what was right and if you got hurt in the process so be it you know i i i just to be honest didn't didn't have any compassion for people but then I, I can look back and I can think of the way that God worked in my life. And I can remember later on, in fact, in fact, I had, uh, I want to be real careful here, I had just gone from one church to another. I'll leave it at that. Nobody can make any connection. And I'd been there for maybe just a few months and uh, one of the ladies in the church took Bev and I out to eat and and got to talking about our ministry there, and they were thankful the Lord sent us, and got to talking about someone else and uh, made a comment about a former pastor, said he was really a good preacher, but he had never had enough troubles in his lifetime to be a good pastor. I knew exactly what she meant because, you know, even though I was still a work in progress and I still am, I'm not where I ought to be. Boy, I tell you, from where I started from to where I was, there had been a lot of bad experiences mainly brought about by me. When you make a bad choice, you're going to suffer a bad consequence. As a result, that's the law. That's the law. And you you can't skirt the law. You can't get around it, you know. You can't circumvent the law. You're not going to escape from it. So, bottom line is, all of us are going to fail more often than we ought. We're going to find ourselves sowing the wrong kind of seed, whether it's in word or deed or our thought life or wherever it is, there are going to be times that we make decisions contrary to the demands of the Bible. So now that brings us to something else we've got to deal with, and that's the escape from this. The escape from it. Remember, there's always only one solution for sin. It's important that we understand this because I can remember times having preached on sin, maybe a particular sin, and somebody would respond to the invitation and the manner in which they were going to deal with it went something like this. I am guilty of that and I'm going to do better and turn around on their heels and walk away. And they probably were very sincere. But let me tell you, that doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem. The only solution to the problem is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no other escape from it, folks. None whatsoever. And that, that is the solution. 
I can't help but wonder, you know, and maybe everybody takes care of business at home before they get here, or maybe they go home and take care of business after the service is over. A lot of preachers are offended by talking about the old-fashioned mourner's bench. And, I, and by the way, I understand what they mean, and that term can be misapplied in, in several different ways. But I still think there ought to be a time and the place during the service that we sometime or another confess our sins. And, and, and I've got to tell you, we, I think you'll admit we don't see much of that, do we? The Bible even talks about not only confessing our sins you know, to God, but it even talks about confessing one to another. We don't see a lot about that. You know why? Because we're not dealing with those issues in our life as we ought to. We might know they exist. We know we've made a bad decision. We've sowed the wrong kind of seed, but we're not going to deal with it. Well, whenever we think about the escape, let me remind you that although we can confess our sin and receive forgiveness, that does not mean we can escape the consequences. Now, sometimes, maybe sometimes we can to some extent. But most of the time, whenever I sin against God, there are going to be some consequences, and God's going to forgive me of my sin when I confess it. He's going to cleanse me of that sin, but there's still going to be some consequences to that sin. Boy, listen, that can be hard to live with. And sometimes we have to live with those consequences the rest of our lives. You see, if sin just affected you for 24 hours, that wouldn't be, well, it'd be bad because it hurts God, but it, it wouldn't be quite so bad as the fact that it might end up hurting you for the rest of your life. And it happens time and time again. I jotted down in the flyleaf of my Bible, actually in the margin right here by these verses, these words, a little poem that somebody penned many years ago, how often sin had blasted the life that once was pure. For once the seed was planted, the harvest day was sure. No such thing as planting the seed and escaping the harvest. Now let me let me sum all of this up and, and ask a question. You know, we've all heard the old saying, prevention is better than cure, and I think we'd all agree with that. Not sinning is a whole lot better than sinning and then seeking forgiveness. How many of you would invest every penny you've got with a financial investor planner that has never made a dime for any of his clients? So you just decide one day, you know, I'm going to scrape together every penny I've got. I'm going to sell all of my assets, put it all together. I'm going to invest in something hoping that I'll, that I'll gain something out of this. And so you look up a financial planner somewhere and you begin to inquire and you even interview his clients 
as to how much he's helped them, and everyone testified, I lost every penny I had. Didn't gain a thing. How many would be willing to make an investment like that? Not if you're in your right mind. None of us would do that. Anyone of average intelligence would never make a decision like that unless they were deceived. And that's precisely what the problem is in most cases. You know, for whatever reason, Satan deceives us and convinces us that the pleasure will be worth the pain. That some way or another in doing what we want to do, in sowing to the flesh instead of the spirit, in planting the bad seed instead of the good seed, uh, even though we know it's wrong, the pleasure will be worth the pain. Brother Ron's not here tonight, but I like the little story he tells. I can't remember whether it was squirrels or rabbits. I I don't remember which one, and his mama didn't want him shooting either one of them. But, uh, but anyway, he enjoyed uh, fried squirrel or squirrel and dumpling or whatever it was, and he knew she wouldn't waste the meat. And so he's going to get in trouble and get a spanking if he did it. But, you know, in order to, in order to get the food, he was willing to take the spanking. You know, a lot of people have that same attitude when it comes to sin. I've had them to tell me that. I I can think of a couple of occasions. One preacher telling me, I know. I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I know that God is going to deal with me, and I know that this is going to to hurt. I, I know that. And then turned around and tried to tell me, but I just can't stop. Let me tell you, the pleasure might outweigh the pain when Mama says, I'm going to spank you, but it never does when God says, I'm going to deal with you. And the only way, folks, that we can truly do what is best for ourselves is whenever we please God instead of self. Until His will becomes what we want more than anything else, we're always going to be prone to making poor choices. I'll bet you can think of somebody that you know and, and you keep saying to yourself, and you might have even remarked to somebody else, are they never going to learn a lesson? I mean, they just made a horrible decision. They got hurt in the process, and lo and behold, they're doing it again. Will they never learn? And, and, and it seems like they never will. And the reason they don't is because what they want is more important to them than what God wants. When our greatest pleasure becomes giving God pleasure, we'll always do what is in the best interests of ourselves. You know, when we look at the root of our problems, let me say this and I'm through. We look at the root of our problem 
And, and I think it can be summed up in a statement like this. The root of the problem is being overly concerned about ourselves. You know, we might call it selfishness, covetousness, whatever you want to call it. But it's self-interest. That, that always gets us in trouble. But you know, there is, there is a sense in which I think that it would be safe and sane that concern for oneself can also be the incentive that we need to pursue the right course of action. Because we're saying, look, I, I, I don't want to just do what is right. I want to do what's in the best interest of, of myself. I want to do what's in the best interest of my family. And because of that, I can't do just whatever I want to do. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. It's hard for me to go on from that statement, especially in light of the fact that of what I've been reading in the headlines and about the the stupidity of our leaders thinking the solution to our problem is to do away with guns and and then a Christian talks about prayer for those poor people, the victims, and some idiot at, well, one of the big newspapers says, uh, what was it, God's, prayer's not working, God's not doing anything. Let me tell you, God's not mocked. You go to mocking God like that, you're in dangerous territory. But there's more than one way to mock God. You know, we can be so stupid and so bold as to put it in words like that person did, or we can mock God by saying, yeah, I know what the Bible says, we reap what we sow. I know what the Bible says, that God hates sin. I know what the Bible says, that He scourgeth every son, that He chastens all of us. I know what the Bible says, but... I'm going to do it anyway. You are mocking God when you do that. And there's a payday someday. A payday someday. And it's going to hurt. Not just you. It'll hurt your loved ones. And it'll hurt God. Whatsoever a man, woman, whatsoever a boy or girl soweth, that shall they also reap. And I hope tonight that uh, this will be a challenge to you as you go out and, uh, and live your life to sow the good seed. You remember how verse 10 started? I believe it was verse 10. As we have opportunity, therefore, let us do what? Do good. And he tells us, sow the good seed. And if we do, we'll reap a good harvest. Let's stand together. Father... How we thank you for the instructions and the warnings that you give us throughout your word and the, and the many examples. And Heavenly Father, all of us, no doubt, if we're honest, we'd have to confess that we've made more than our share of mistakes and foolish decisions. We've done harm to ourselves and we've, we've hurt people that love us. Most of all, we've even grieved your heart as a result of our attitude. And Lord, tonight, I pray that we might resolve by your grace, with your help, 
that we'll sow good seed that'll bring a harvest that will enable us to do good unto all men and especially those of the household of faith because we realize that we can never really be a blessing to anybody else unless, first of all, we've sowed the good seed and reaped the good harvest. And then we have the potential to become a blessing to others and to please you. So bless us tonight. Dismiss us with your blessings and protect us by your power. Be it those that can't be here tonight. May you touch their bodies and heal them and strengthen them. In Jesus' dear name we pray, amen. Let's stand while we sing together. It's 428.